Well, hello again, everybody. Um, you probably saw the announcement <clears throat> up just before I came up that there is a prayer available in the back. So I just want to highlight that back by the, the Praying Hands banner there. We have a team that every Sunday is available to pray with you. You know, sometimes there's things going on in your life that need attention, that need prayer. And so we have a very gifted team that is available anytime during the service. You know, maybe there's something in, the, in God's Word, something in the teaching that, that touches you. And you say, I really need to pray with somebody about that. So you're welcome to go back there uh, at any time, and that, that team is uh, available for you. So <clears throat> today we're going to talk about Jesus' humanity. And there probably isn't any more important question in life that you can answer than this one. What is God really like? What is he like? And God himself makes a statement about this, a very famous passage. You've probably heard this before. But listen to what God says in Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not a mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me. So how important is it that we have a true and an accurate picture of who God is? Think about it. If you have a false idea about God, a false idea about Jesus, your faith is built on something that isn't true. It isn't built upon reality. It's built upon, really, my own imagination. And so it's so important that we understand who God is. And, and this is where it ties into our subject this morning. This is where I think we begin to get a glimpse of the scope of the genius of God. That God knew this. He knew that we would have difficulty understanding and grasping who he is. And so the scripture says, the word became flesh. And dwelt among us. Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word was God. Jesus was fully God. He was not partially God. He was fully God, but He was also fully human, just like us. In fact, the title that Jesus preferred for Himself throughout the Gospels, more than 60 times, He referred to Himself as the Son of Man. Isn't that beautiful? That identification with our humanity. What this does for us is it helps us to understand God in a way that we can actually relate to. We can relate to the humanness of Jesus. So in this passage today, Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 34, we're going to look at that. And so I'm going to start with a little quiz. Okay, one question quiz. What is the only miracle that Jesus performed that is uh, talked about in all four Gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's only one miracle that Jesus performed 
that's in all of them. Only one. What is it? Anybody know? Yeah. Very good, Jim. Feeding of the 5,000. So this is an extremely important event, extremely important miracle. There's so much in that. If you've heard you know, teaching on that, there, it's just packed with good stuff. Well, we're not going to talk about that. What we're going to talk about is the stuff that happened just before the feeding of the 5,000. And the reason is that this stuff that was going on really gives us a glimpse into Jesus' humanity. It gives us a chance to connect with him in that way. So, and in turn, as we understand his humanity, we can see God a little bit more clearly. So what I'm going to do is just read through these five verses, and then we'll go back through and just talk about each one. <clears throat> Mark 6, 30 through 34. The apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. They went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. The people saw them going, and many recognized them, and ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. So let's pray together as we uh, open this passage of Scripture. Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to open our eyes to truth, to your truth, to get a true picture of who you are so that our faith will be founded not on opinion or imagination, but on reality and truth of who you are. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's talk about what's going on here. There's a lot of stuff happening at this point in Jesus' life. We're going to try to sort that out for you a little bit. First of all, the apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. Well, what's that about? Well, the context is that for the very first time, Jesus sent out the 12 disciples on their own. He wasn't with them. And he said, okay, I'm going to divide you up in two by two. So six groups of the disciples went out, and Jesus gave them authority to heal, to cast out demons. He said, go and, and, and preach and teach repentance in the kingdom of God, which they did. And so... These six teams were out in villages, and he also told them, by the way, uh, don't bring a lot of supplies. He was trying to teach them to depend on God and faith, so they weren't able to bring a lot of supplies, like a big old backpack with them. He said, don't bring anything. You've got to learn how to trust God. So they went out to, the, to the, all these villages, and this is the point where they came back. And so you can imagine the excitement. God had worked through them. The Holy Spirit had worked through them. Things had happened. They came back and they wanted to report to Jesus all that was going on. And so you can also imagine how Jesus felt. The first time, you know, he's been doing these things, but the first time they begin to do it. You know, how, how exciting was that for Jesus? And how 
much anticipation must he have had to hear what they had done and what had happened and how God had used them. Next verse. And he said to themselves, Come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So here's the scene. Jesus' fame is growing, right? These six teams going out to these villages, that multiplied things. And so there's people coming, there's people that are in need, there's constant activity. Uh, and so what happens in a case like that? You know, you've experienced times like that probably in your life where you got so much stuff going on, so many demands, you're fatigued, you're tired. If you're a parent of small children, I don't need to say anything more. You know what that's like, where there's constant demands day and night, where you just get tired and you need to get away. Well, this is what happened with Jesus. Not only did he want to hear what was going on with the disciples, but there was just chaos, many people with demands all the time. So he said, hey, let's get away to a secluded place and rest. And just as a side note, <clears throat> um, I want to point out that Jesus practiced intentional rest. Intentional rest is different from the kind of rest that I practice. My rest is, I've run out of things to do. I guess I'm resting. And actually, I've been learning that, I've been learning about rest from my wife. She is from Latin America. And the first time I heard her say, I said, where are you going? I'm going to rest. Well, I was a little confused about that. Like, wait a minute, that's really not an activity, you know, isn't that what happens when you run out of things to do? No, I'm going deliberately, intentionally to rest. And she would do that. So I've been learning from her a little bit about how to intentionally rest. And Jesus practiced this. So just a side note, it's a good thing for us to learn. So <clears throat> this wasn't the only thing that was going on. The disciples coming back, the fatigue of the crowds, something else was going on. Jesus, at this very same time, was told the news about John the Baptist. That John the Baptist had been killed, had been executed mercilessly by Herod. Well, think about that. Think about that news coming to Jesus. John was his cousin. But John also was probably one of the few people on earth that I don't know, Jesus had a connection with in a way that he could under, they could understand each other. John, had, John was called to preach and teach. John uh, had this tendency to get the religious establishment all upset and angry. Uh, John had disciples and followers. And so there's so many things in common with Jesus and John. And then Jesus hears that John has been executed. And you can imagine in Jesus' mind knowing that he's on the same path. He knows what's ahead of him. And so this happened to John. And so, so you know, just the, the, the humanity of Jesus, this news coming. And, you know, most of us have received news like that at some point in our life. Sorrowful news where we just need to grieve. We're grieving the loss of someone. And so what do you want to do when you 
are grieving, you need time to process it, right? You need to be alone. And so this is another human experience that Jesus had. At the same time, as the other stuff was going on, this news comes about John. So I just want to point out again, these are human experiences that he was having. He was experiencing joy. The, the disciples had done this. This is the first glimpse that Jesus had of the church. He was experiencing fatigue, endless people, endless people coming to him with needs. He was experiencing sorrow, this grief over the loss of John and knowing what was in store ahead. And then a fourth thing, and I, I haven't mentioned this yet, but, he, but at a human level, Jesus was experiencing watchfulness or caution. Because John tells us, remember this, was, this account is in all four Gospels, John tells us that at this time, the people, the Jews in Judea already wanted to kill Jesus. Because John says, Jesus wasn't walking in Judea. So Judea is down near Jerusalem. Jesus was walking near his home, which is about 60 miles north. And he couldn't be down there because they wanted to kill him. He was already a marked man. So, so there is this sense of caution. And then the other thing that happened was, after John, after John was killed, Herod heard about Jesus and said, well, who is this person? I want to see this person. Is this John the Baptist risen from the dead? Herod was a little bit paranoid. So basically Jesus um, was experiencing this news about John and trying to process this, and he needed to be alone. So that, so that is um, the other part of what was going on with Jesus. So that's a lot of major stuff going on. So what happens next? They went away in a boat in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. Well, their plan was to get in a boat and to go away. If they, if they just walked somewhere, what would have happened? People would have just followed them, right? So they got in a boat, and the idea was to get away from the crowd. Well, it backfired. So I want you to picture this. This boat is going along, trying to get to the secluded spot, but it's still visible from the shore. So people in all these villages get the word that, hey, Jesus is headed in this direction. And so the boat becomes like a magnet. And so it's wor it, it was worse than if they had just walked there because it's collecting people from all these villages and literally by the thousands. So instead of getting away from people, they collected them. And I want to point this out. People ran. Jesus, they heard about Jesus, they dropped what they were doing, and they ran. These people were not, we get this idea that people are just sitting around doing nothing. These people had jobs, they had work, they had shops, they had farms, they had families. They heard about Jesus, and they dropped everything, and they ran. And they didn't just run a couple of blocks. This distance from where Jesus was to where he went, was a number of miles. So people were running and running by the thousands. So just try to picture this scene in your mind. This is what was happening. Think about the impact that Jesus was having on these people. Think about what would cause you, during the middle of your busy day, to drop what you're doing 
and run. So all these people are running ahead of Jesus. Jesus gets to the destination. He gets to shore. And it says that when Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd. He felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Luke adds this detail that he welcomed them. And another detail that he began healing them. So I don't know how many people that could run a bunch of miles needed healing, but there evidently were some in there that needed healing. But, uh, but Jesus welcomed them. So, so think about what happened at the human level for Jesus. He needed to get away. He needed solitude. He needed to grieve. He wanted to be with his disciples. He needed to be alone. He gets off the ship, and there's thousands of people there. Instead of less people, he got more. So what was his reaction? Was it resentment? You know, I, I could see myself getting off the boat and saying, seriously? What is going on? And, and so it's so significant that it says that Jesus felt compassion for them. And this word for compassion is a inter very interesting uh, Greek word. That's the English sort of transliteration of it. I'm not going to try to pronounce that, <laughs> but that's what it is. That's the Greek word for compassion. So I'm not a Greek expert, but I know how to use a Greek lexicon. Quick story about Mark Fesmeyer. You, most of you know Mark. He's been our lead teacher and pastor for many years. He's a real scholar. And one, and one day I went into his office and <clears throat> I went around and I saw his computer and I said, hey, Mark, I think you got a virus on your computer. He says, no, Jim, actually, that's the Greek New Testament. Of course, I, I, I knew that. Yeah, that's the Greek New Testament. That's not a virus. Uh, yeah, well, I was just reading that myself this morning. You know, that's what I normally do. In fact, I like to pray in Greek as well. You know, that's pretty normal for me. So, yeah, he's at a different level. But anyway, this, this, this is the word for compassion. And it's a really cool word because it, it refers to something physical. It refers to something very human. It refers to our internal organs. And the reason is that the ancient people didn't think that our emotions were seated in our mind. We tend to think our emotions are all seated in the mind. They believed, the, the, the Hebrews and the Greeks in that day, they believed that the emotions were seated in the, in the guts, if you will, in, the, in, in your intestines, in your internal organs, that that was the seat of your emotions as a human being. And what this word means is that that was that Jesus was moved at that level very, very deep. This is a very, very strong word, a very powerful word. What we would say in, in English maybe is gut wrenching. You know, we use that word. We know that somehow emotions are tied into our physical body. So this is what Jesus was experiencing. And it, it is something that happens that, that causes you to act. It's a deep enough feeling that causes you to act. Uh, in the parable of the prodigal son, for example, 
when the father sees the son coming and the son is all ragged and tattered and sort of beat up from his experience, the father felt this and was moved to act. He went running down the road to meet the, the prodigal son. So the point is, Jesus was deeply moved by the people. He was moved in his internal being as a human being by the needs of the people. And, and Mark tells us why he felt compassion. He saw them as sheep without a shepherd. Let me ask you something. Was there any shortage of religious leaders during Jesus' time? Hard to find a rabbi anywhere? Pharisees, few and far between? Difficult to find a scribe, a ruler, an authority? The woods were full of them. There was leaders and leaders and leaders, religious leaders, right and left during the cult, in the culture at the time. But this is how Jesus saw the people, that they were like sheep without a shepherd. And I'll tell you, this is, this is so convicting for anyone in leadership, in ministry leadership, for, for the elder team here, that we want to be shepherding. We don't want to set up your bureaucracy or have something like that. We want to be shepherding. And, and please pray for us for that. Jesus saw the people as sheep without a shepherd. He didn't look at them cynically. So important. He wasn't cynical about their needs. He was moved in his inner being. And it's so significant that this is when he performed this incredible miracle of feeding 5, 000, more than 5,000. 5,000 men plus women and children. Remember when I said that that feeling of compassion that moves you to act? Well, this is what he did. This is the, the context of the feeding of the 5,000. He went above and beyond to care for them, to care for their needs. So, as we observe the humanity of Jesus, we see the face of God. That's what we're talking about today. This is who God is. This is what God is like. This is how God thinks about you and about me. You know, um, it's easy to get a wrong idea. I think one of the chief strategies of Satan is to give us a false picture of God. For example, a God who despises our humanity. Jesus didn't despise humanity. He became one of us. He loves our humanity. A God who looks with contempt upon human weakness? No. That wasn't what Jesus did. He felt compassion at the deepest level for the needs of humanity. An impatient God 
who prefers not to be bothered or troubled by you or by me? No. Jesus had every right to get back in the boat and say, see ya. I've had enough for a while. I need a break. I need a vacation. Goodbye. But he didn't. He had patience. He got out of the boat and he ministered to them and he healed them. And then he performed this miracle. So here you have the truth. Here you see the face of God. Here you see what God is really like. And this is so important in our faith. It is so important that we have an accurate and full and true view of who God is and who Jesus is and that you and I cement this in our minds because, believe me, there's an awful lot of things that are going to try to pull us in the wrong direction. So here's my final question for us, for all of us. What's holding you back from from your trust in Jesus? And, you know, there's a few different levels of this, right? A few different levels of, of, of learning to trust Jesus because, you know, we come to Jesus and the first thing that we need to learn is to, be, to become a follower of him. We need to learn to believe in Jesus. What are we believing in? Well, we're believing that Jesus Christ's death on the cross was a substitute for my sin, that he paid the penalty, the price for my sin. We're believing that he rose from the dead, that Jesus is alive today, that his resurrection is the authentication of the fact that our forgiveness is real. He rose from the dead and ascended to heaven. So we believe that through him, we can receive forgiveness for our sins. It's free. It's offered to us. We just have to believe in him and trust him. And receive that from him. So that's the first thing in, 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 in trusting Jesus is learning to believe in him and to be a follower, to receive forgiveness. The second thing is, once you've done that, you, believe, you begin to realize, well, wait a minute. Uh, there's a lot of things in my life that are out of line. There's a lot of things in my life that are hurting me and that need healing. And my behavior isn't what I think it should be. And So then we realize that, oh, okay, the next process in learning to trust Jesus is learning to allow the Holy Spirit more and more access to our lives, to receive healing, for example, in our lives. To allow the Holy Spirit to transform our thoughts, our habits. We become changed, but it isn't something, people say, oh, you know, why doesn't Jesus just zap me? <laughs> Why does he just zap me and then I'll be perfect? It doesn't work that way. It's a process. It's a painful, long process of learning to recognize where we need healing, where we need restoration. So that's the second level of trust in Jesus, walking with him on a daily basis. And then the third level. Do you know that God has a purpose for you? He does. He has a purpose for you. He has a purpose for me. And what he wants is to collaborate with us on that purpose. He wants us to enter into his purpose that he has. And so it isn't like he's looking for a robot 
He's looking for somebody to just do everything exactly what he says. He made us with an independent will. He made us as human beings. And so it's this collaborative process of learning to walk in the purposes of God, learning that God has a purpose for you, and beginning to follow and look for that, and look for God's leading in your life. So there are all different levels of learning to trust in Jesus that we are at. So everybody in this room is at a certain level of learning to trust in Jesus. And the question before us is, what's holding me back? Well, do you know what the biggest thing is that holds us back? Fear. We're afraid. We're afraid to trust Jesus. We're afraid of what he might do to mess things up. And so that's why it's so important for us to, to get into the Gospels, to see how Jesus interacted, to see that Jesus was a real person, to see his humanity. And in seeing his humanity, we begin to see the face of God and we realize God is so trustworthy. Jesus is so trustworthy. I can trust him with anything. And you know what? I'm convinced that when you really see Jesus and who he is, there's only one reaction that you can possibly have. I'm talking about when you, not when you see religion or church or any of this other stuff. When you see Jesus, there's only one reaction. And you saw it. Thousands of people, they dropped whatever they were doing and they ran. That's what happens when we see the real thing. That's what happens when we see the real Jesus. That's what it means to be an authentic follower of him. And that's what it means to enter into those purposes and plans and healing that he has for us. So I just want to encourage you uh, in that today. And I want to mention that that's our purpose. Okay, why do we get together as a community? Why do we have this church? The purpose is to help each other. We need help from one another to walk this walk. We need help from one another to see Jesus clearly. We need help from one another to have people praying with us, like we have the team back there praying with us to help us to deal with the realities in our life. This is not just some sort of fake imaginary life that is disconnected from reality. When you partner with Jesus in your life, you are right in the middle of reality because he will walk with you through every single circumstance that you face, no matter what it is, no matter how tough it is, he will be by your side. So let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we have... Um, just seen you in Scripture today. We've just seen just some of the beauty of who you are, the person that you are. And I just want to thank you for that. I just want to thank you for being the incredible, remarkable person that you are. I want to thank you for being so trustworthy. I want to thank you for being that person that 
we can trust with abandon, that we can drop what we're doing and follow you. And I just pray, Lord, for each of us, wherever we are in our walk of faith, wherever we are in our learning to trust you, that we would have that clear picture of you that would cause us to drop what we're doing and follow you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.